0: Welcome to What Would My Shrink Say, a podcast where you get inside the heads of a couple psychologists and see life through their eyes. You'll never be the same.
1: Annie in Tallahassee calls in asking, my therapist is such a cool guy, but when I asked if he wanted to get some drinks one day after session, he said no. What's the deal? Sincerely, Annie. Todd. Yeah. If you were a therapist and Annie asked you to get a drink after session, why not?
0: Well, there, I, I mean, there's lots of reasons. I think why not. It's not one kind of reason, but I, I'll have to admit, I, I definitely understand. I think why clients face this question.
1: Why they want to? Yeah. Do that. Why they
0: would want to do that? Why this comes up for them? Um, you're in like a really intimate kind of setting. Kind of exposing really vulnerable parts of yourself, and I think normally in a relationship, uh, reciprocation is part of the arrangement, right? In other social relationships, there's some type of.
1: What do you mean by reciprocation?
0: Um, like? like if you disclose something to your best friend, they're likely disclosed to you as well, right? Yeah. And that's and, and therapy is a it's a one sided kind of deal, you know. Your clients are are definitely. Uh, sharing a lot of information about themselves, but you don't really share much at all about yourself. Yeah, yeah. And, and so I can I can definitely see why clients um, mm-hmm. Come to this like place where they're like I want to know more about the person yeah. I'm telling my life to sure You know and that I'm exposing these really vulnerable parts to
1: because it's one of the only relationships our lives right where it's that one side you tell all this really deep stuff to someone else and yeah. you basically get nothing back and sometimes them.
0: things that you don't tell anybody else yeah you know not even your closest yeah, friends really no one else. And, and so I think there is a natural kind of curiosity about wanting to get to know the other and the other part is you're showing a lot of compassion empathy and guidance you know to somebody and um, you know, it's not it's not uncommon that those kind of feelings for someone arise as you're doing that. You know, right. you you're able to come in an hour a week and get somebody's undivided attention, uh, somebody's compassionate care, and so um, although although this is awkward for us as professionals, I think it's really natural for clients to yeah. yeah to get to that place. Um, but there are all sorts of considerations, I think, that, that uh, need to be acknowledged you know, in those situations.
1: Yeah. Uh, what do you mean by considerations? Like, it could be a bad idea? Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, and, and I think usually it probably would be a bad idea. Um, if you really thought that through, you know, I would, I would um, for, for anybody listening to this, if you really thought through what that beer would be like, with your psychologist after after work um i think you could potentially see that that may not go the way you thought it would
1: well why not i mean i know you know we've chit-chatted on the way in the session a few times about how you know we both like to watch giants baseball you know Mm -hmm. so like what's the worst that could happen we get some beers and we talk about the giants and you know we chit chat about the weather and Mm -hmm. what's the bad with that um, well, depending
0: on who your therapist, I'm I'm not saying this would happen with you or I because we're so rational and level-headed, but what if you see a side of your therapist or part of their personality that you don't quite like or understand in this in this meeting? Are you going to be able to listen to them? Um, are you going to be able to engage the same way in therapy the next session you have? If you've seen your therapist uh, in their private life, so to speak, and mm-hmm. you don't necessarily
1: approve. So if I'm at the bar with my therapist and I all of a sudden realize, God, he's really like rude to waiters. Right. Like that's weird. He's always so friendly with me, but that's weird. He's like a, he's kind of a jerk.
0: Yeah. And and you see that person or that your therapist potentially in a, um, you know, a cross section of their life or sliver of their life that. There's really no context for other than this really odd meeting therapy meeting yeah 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 Um, yeah potentially uh, dangerous and then I mean well you I'm assuming you've had clients that you really enjoy getting to know Mm -hmm. like really interesting people yeah right sure and and as they come in and and you get to know them better sometimes you develop a real admiration. For your clients and a real kind of curiosity about their lives, um, and potentially going out and getting a beer messes with your objectivity and your ability to kind of be that person they come to once a week to really just kind of unbiasedly look at their lives. Right. I think developing a different type of relationship, because what what we're really boiling this down to is now you have a dual relationship. You have a uh, therapist-client relationship, and a friendship developing. And one of those is bound to impact the other at some point. And I think that's the the APA's provision on dual relationships is about that, right? Is your multiple relationships with this person going to compromise your ability to be a good therapist and be objective and to, act, to help
1: them? So the idea is that you are you were their therapist first, and that's your first job your first responsibility to this person mm-hmm. right is to mm-hmm. be there is to be their therapist and so writing providing... if, if some other relationship potentially got in the way of that you would be not doing your duty
0: yeah and, and compromise that primary relationship that that, that uh, significant I think relationship and and you know sometimes I get torn about this I have a, a buddy who's a physical therapist and when this topic has kind of come up as we've discussed it, he swears that we take ourselves way too seriously, mm-hmm. you know, um, that this fear that we have that, um, we won't be able to serve our clients is kind of unfounded, but I, I really don't agree. I don't know. I, and, and every therapist kind of encounters these, these moments where your clients want to get to know you better or have the beer go on a date, whatever it is. Um, and, and I'm sure there's there, there's been moments for me, at least, that you're like, wow, that's really flattering, you know, and you're a really interesting person. Um, but you have the kind of canned uh, talk with them about ethical standards and things like that. But I can, I can definitely see sometimes that, like, mutual interest in, like, each other's lives. And, yeah, so I, I have a lot of empathy for clients in this situation who are facing that, like, I'd love to go get a beer with my therapist or right. Or Jesus guy um, or, or gal, you know, really listens to me and, and seems to really care about me. It'd be great to date them. Um, but I think there are a lot of pitfalls yeah. to that.
1: And, you, you know, one of the things that strikes me is you could make a case that this is all hypothetical. I've, I've never gotten a beer with my with one of my clients, so how do I know for sure that it would go poorly or go badly? <laughs> um, but one of the things I often think about that that isn't just hypothetical is... Even something as simple as when you have a when there's a client therapist relationship that's really where you have good chemistry and you have similar interests Mm -hmm. and I'll start I I find myself I'll start chatting as soon as I get them from the waiting room and we can end up ten minutes into session and we we've been chatting about you know some we've been chatting about sports. Yeah. Or something for 10 minutes. Yeah. And if you think about it, that's that's not what they're paying for. And those 10 minutes that you spend chatting, you know, given you're both enjoying it, that's depriving them of their primary objective, which is of working on whatever it is they're in therapy to work on. Mm-hmm. You know, so that's, right, the fact that I can do that even in like a really little way, that, I, that the relationship can get complicated, that makes me really cautious about something as... So
0: does that make you uncomfortable when you notice that hap- that has happened? That I think
1: if it, it's just something you have to be, if it goes too far, of course you want to chit-chat a little. I mean, it's natural, but chit-chat mm-hmm. a little bit. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Um, but yeah, if, I, if I'm spending 10 or 15 minutes at the first part of a session just, you know, shooting the breeze about stuff, that's, you know, it's, uh, I think as the therapist, that's my obligation to kind of keep track of that and make sure that doesn't get too mm-hmm. out of hand. Because, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. because re- really, that's you know, it's like what if, if you were uh, you know if you were paying a personal trainer, and you had an hour with them at the gym, but you spent the first fifteen minutes of it chatting about you know new shoes, right? Well, now you only now you only have forty five minutes to work out. Yeah, man, and, and yeah,
0: so we've talked about this before, and I think I think the function matters there, right? I mean, because it could be avoidance, like your your client's kind of distracting you and. Distracting the process to be...
1: Because they're, they they're, so they're something Yeah, they're they, they want to
0: avoid some topic. <laughs> um, but I, there's other functions I think that can fulfill, too, that may not be unhealthy.
1: Oh, you mean that are actually good? It, it would actually be good. The or, or
0: benign, right? Okay. Not, not necessarily productive, but benign or...
1: Um, well, but I think you'd know, there's always opportunity costs, right? Those tend... To, those 10 minutes are for sure not 10 minutes you could be spending doing therapy stuff. So you, the burden's on you to show that the chit-chatting is more important than those well, 10 minutes of...
0: And I would say in an ideal world, you'd want every minute of your session to be meaningful. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Wait, the, yours
0: aren't? No, Dark to school?
1: no I'm going to go ahead and admit <laughs> that
0: maybe not 100% of the, the, huh. the minute, but every minute. Um, but I think there's a lot of rapport building that happens in those spaces. I think there's a lot of um, healthy kind of um, banter that goes back and forth that kind of models healthy relationships. Mm-hmm. So so I'd be hard-pressed to say that some of that can't be beneficial. And I think some clients, do not they don't have a really strong support network. And so even them feeling like you are there to – just greet them and kind of have that little five, 10 minute. Now, again, I'll say that with a caveat of of course, you don't want to do that every time. And and of course you don't want, you know, that's not ideal maybe for uh, therapy in a perfect world, but um, I don't know. I'm hard pressed to say that that's unhealthy every time.
1: Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think it it probably depends a lot on the therapist and the client. Yeah. Um, yeah, like I, I know I have a lot of clients who we'd start off therapy and it was, we weren't totally in sync. Not that it wasn't working, but it wasn't, we weren't quite firing on all cylinders. Mm-hmm. And then something would come up where we realized we had a common interest mm-hmm. and all of a sudden things kind of like clicked. Like they became more comfortable with me or I became more relatable to them mm-hmm. and then therapy kind of hit a different level because they achieved a, a different sort of comfort level. Yeah, well, and sometimes you find an inroad in that
0: band. Oh, yeah, right. right. I mean, um, metaphors get created. Um, you know, you, you find that little um, inroad into a, a way to talk about a topic or a, an issue that comes up for them in those moments where they're just kind of bullshitting about their family or, Interaction they had, you know, at the store before they got to your office or whatever. Sometimes there's something in there that is therapeutic, that or, or that, that represents a target for therapy or um, yeah. So, I mean, I think, I, I, but that's far from a dual relationship, right? I don't think that represents a dual relationship. Um, but yeah, I think I think it's only normal to have those little interactions every once in a while. True. Sure. Yeah. As therapy goes on, I mean, some clients come in and out, you know, but the ones that hold on, um, and, and 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 attend therapy fairly regularly, it's I don't mean, think it's uncommon for those kind of situations yeah. to happen
1: at all. One of the things I, I don't know if wor- worry is maybe too strong, but I think a lot about is that one of the things that makes therapy unique is it's it's a situation where you are arguably more free than any other social situation to be really candid and honest. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and that, that can be really useful for working through you know, emotional difficulties, is the ability to be really honest about things, yeah. right? Um, and I think, it strikes me that one of the, the biggest temptations away from honesty, one of the reasons why we, we end up being dishonest, either with ourselves or other people in little ways, is impression management. So we're trying to manage how someone else perceives us. Mm-hmm. And I think the more we know about someone else and the more things, the more um, parts of ourselves that we ex- inter- you know kind of exchange with someone else, the more of a temptation there is to manage an impression. Like so the better you get to know someone, right, the more you care about. There's more to the relationship. Right. And so the temptation to to maybe withhold things in order to keep the relationship good. Right. Is stronger. Yeah. So there, there's something to the idea. Of course, a therapist can't be a, a complete blank slate, right? Right. But there's something to being really, maybe a little unnaturally distant, yeah, uh, because it it'll it frees someone up to be really. If they really don't care what you think, they can be more honest. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So th- yeah. that's like one factor that I kind of that I think about.
0: I think it's a huge factor. And the the flip side of that, I think, would be, I mean, imagine um, playing around a golf with a, with a, a client or a patient, and they blow up on the green and snap their club in half. And you, as their therapist slash friend now, say, now, Ted, you know this is a problem for you, this way that you manage your emotions right here. mean how horrible would that be to be with a friend who now is going to slip into the client mode Um, that'd be awful for the for the client right Mm -hmm. so there's not only impression management on on one side but the other side is if you can't manage that impression or that impartiality in your other relationship oh that's gonna feel awful
1: right right yeah and just like a an outside relationship could impact your therapy negatively Exactly this outside relationship you want to develop is, it's very unlikely that that would not be impacted in weird ways by the fact that you're also in therapy with this person. Right,
0: and you you see that a lot, I think, in like um, vignettes that come up, you know, in in our field and when talking to other therapists that, you know, you naturally want to accommodate, make allowances for, work with other people in these situations, and and we're not talking about just friendship relationships or romantic relationships, but, you know, what if your um, client um, you also discover is your mechanic, you know, or what if um, Someone you're seeing also happens to be your uh, child's teacher at school or Those kind of dual relationships can definitely get a little tricky. Yeah. Yeah, and so and, and the risk there is that one relationship impacts the other, and you use, lose your ability to be objective. Uh, really help them therapeutically. I think that's the main concern there. Yeah. Right.
1: It's you've, tricky. You've convinced me. <laughs> <laughs> have
0: you Have you ever had situations that have, have been um, more awkward than others? There.
1: What? Give me an example. What do you mean? Mm. Like someone asked, actually asked me if I can.
0: Yeah, yeah. Where that, that issue has not only been brought up, um, but pressed,
1: I guess. Um, I haven't myself. I think the closest I've actually got with this is um, having a client who I think, like, damn, they are really cool. And if they, if they weren't my client, we would be buddies. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm pretty sure we would be, like, if I just ran into you at you know on a kickball league or something, um, and, and so you think like, shoot, like now because I'm their therapist, like that's out, like that will never be, yeah, that most likely that will never be anything else. Yeah, um, and so that's like, be a little disappointing, I guess. That's happened a couple times, but um, have have you had people overtly like ask if you can hang out yeah of session? Yeah,
0: definitely. And and I, you know one of the the things that's hard to manage about that is that. Um, Inevitably, there's disappointment when you can't reciprocate, right? There's almost a hurt or a, a rejection yeah. um, that occurs there, and and that is um, both painful or potentially painful and awkward for for one party or the
1: other. Right. Um, so, what do you do? You basically this chat that we've just had. Do you basically have that with a client after they ask you that, or do you have a do you have a like a kind of a canned Answer that you give, or what? Like, what are the bullet points for what you tell someone? I think it's both. I mean,
0: you know, to hear a canned answer to an honest request for, um, uh, you know,
1: yes, yeah, sir. I don't mean I don't mean canned. I just mean like, do you have a regular sort of yeah like version you know, of that talk? Version. Yeah, yeah.
0: Um, but it's it's usually melded with a more personal, customized message of like, hey, you know, I do have, um. A deep respect for you, and I do find you interesting, um, but there there are many reasons, and going through those reasons with them, uh, you know, yeah. about why this that would be a bad idea. Um,
1: and do people tend to respond for, if you if you give those reasons? Do most do you find most people kind of are accepting of that, or are they are they still kind of frustrated or disappointed?
0: No, I think for, well,
1: I mean, I'm not a mind reader,
0: but <laughs> what? Yeah, believe it or not. <laughs> I'm really, quite good at it usually, but no. Um, yeah, I think for the most part, people are able to kind of understand that. I think people are able to respond to that. Um, but I have have no doubt it's impacted therapy. And hopefully, you work through that, right? Right. Um, and and hopefully, you're able to. to do that. What do you mean by work
1: through it? What well, I mean this is that, that
0: this is that kind of psychoanalytic transference. Um, whoa, whoa, whoa! Those are some big words. Yeah, 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 yeah. So these these uh, feelings that arise in therapy between the client and and the therapist is, is a kind of a transference type issue. So um, so if I say,
1: hey, Dr. Sewell, I want to go get beers after session today, and you reject me and say no, I may come into therapy next week and be kind of frustrated and maybe give you the silent treatment a little bit.
0: Yeah yeah and i I think it's interesting that you use the word rejection there dr because uh, (laughs) my my um reluctance to engage in a dual relationship isn't necessarily rejection (laughs) but i like your perception of that uh yeah yeah i mean you, you know you look at how the client has maybe handled rejection in the past or perceptions of rejection or how they um handle it when they feel vulnerable in a relationship and mm-hmm. needs aren't met, right? And sometimes that can be really therapeutic um, for your work together, and then sometimes it's just awkward enough that maybe they don't want
1: to come back at all.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it's, there's there's a myriad of, I think, possible outcomes.
1: But it sounds like one of them is kind of silver lining. Like, sure, you can't go get beers with your therapist, but maybe that is an opening to work on a, another... A- a bigger kind of issue. Yeah, well,
0: and, and to talk about why. Why do you want to get up here with me? What is it about that potential that's appealing to you? And, and I've even had people just say, man, it just feels really awkward to tell you everything, and I know
1: zero yeah. about you. It doesn't have to be a deep, mysterious meaning. Yeah, there's maybe they're on. not attracted
0: to you, maybe they don't really care to be your buddy, but they kind of want to know something about yeah. this person that they're, you know, really bearing their soul to every week. And yeah. so, you know... Maybe they just they come up with that, and it's just like, well, and some questions you can't answer. Where did you go to school? What was that like? What kind of therapies? You and sometimes that kind of information is enough to, to satiate their need for uh, an increased knowledge of who they're talking to. Right. Yeah. Not always deep. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds good to me.
1: Yeah? You got more stuff? No.
0: Nope. I think we've covered – Covered it all. But I, I would go back to that. Imagine you really do end up going out for a beer. Mm-hmm. That would be a really, I, I think to me sometimes I'm, I, I, I do kind of look at it and say, that would be really awkward for you. You know, internally, that's a thought that mm-hmm. I have. You, you need to quiet. Yeah. You know, the session ends and later on you kind of reflect and say, man, that would be so awkward for them. Because I know everything about them almost, mm-hmm. And they know nothing about me. And so I, you can imagine that half hour beer turns into like tons of questions for you probably. And they're realizing, wow, I know nothing about you. Hmm. And, and I would almost bet that no matter how great your therapist is, they don't meet the expectations that they've, they've had for that moment.
1: How, yeah, that's interesting. How, if you could somehow rate this or measure it how, how well do you think your clients actually know you? And do you think they know you better or less well than, than what your perception is? How would you mention that? Um, I, I think my bias is to think that I'm, I'm pretty... Um, I, I don't disclose too much. I'm pretty objective. I, I, I keep the... But I bet you people pick up on a lot more than I think... I think both actually. I, I I think
0: they probably are way more perceptive than we think they they are, that they pick up on a lot more than we think yeah. they do. Um and there's are still gonna be parts of you and parts of your personality they have no idea exist. Um so I, I think both, actually. Yeah. I think I think you'd get a, a pretty good bimodal distribution of yeah, these are things that I definitely knew and these are things I had no idea about. Um,
1: what do you think? Yeah, I think about um, I think about politics a lot. Like I, I, I'm very careful to never talk about politics or like my particular political What if things. you know what their political agenda is? Yeah, I still I still don't. Still don't. Nope. But I, I bet you people could guess with above chance accuracy what my political leanings are based on I don't know no, I, I, I just feel like you can kind of get a sense for that stuff like if you spend enough time with someone even someone who's not particularly talkative about their self or the, their own interests like stu- stuff comes out you know like I, I feel like it, you just you can sort of pick up on things
0: See, and I don't I mean I used to have this very kind of closed off I disclose nothing attitude in therapy you know i want to be the blank slate i want to be <laughs> that neutral but more and more i try to um you know let's say a particular kind of situation comes up in therapy that a client has been in, and, and i'll kind of search through my mind sometimes and try to look for a personal experience i've had that might map on pretty well to what they're going through yeah right um and and to kind of look at like well you know, how how would how would I have handled that better, more functionally, whatever it is. And at times I think I have kind of said, Hey, yeah, you know, this kind of reminds me of something I've experienced. Now this is anecdotal, of course, and but it gives you a chance to kind of play off mm-hmm. those things. Um now I definitely try to make those things not too personal or not too um revealing, I guess, but um yeah.
1: I guess my thought on it, because I do that too. I mean, how can, you can't be a real person without yeah, you know, yeah giving some of that stuff. That'd be yeah, um, it would be weird. It'd be really? yeah, yeah, super awkward. Um, but I do. I guess my, the way I come down on it is, I think I should always have a little catch mechanism that says, when in doubt, be more conservative with that.
0: Well, I, I think actually that's the whole purpose of the dual relationship. I mean, this whole topic basically boils down to there's potential for right, disaster, right? Yep. And and maybe 60, 70% of the time that wouldn't happen. Maybe it wouldn't. But is it worth risking Right. that for um, you to go get a beer with your therapist? No. Yeah, it's probably. just not worth that. Right? So, um, and, and potentially what happens then too is that that experience with you is generalized to all therapists and all therapy, mm-hmm. and it ruins, you know, that, that client's you know, perception of what therapy and what therapists are, and in the future, they're less likely to go get
1: help. And that's a great point. I think mean, yeah. I think that's a really important. That's a that's a very non-obvious point, though. Yeah. And, and so to kind of
0: protect their future selves, you know, from from harm, I think uh, we err on the side of caution there. Yeah. I think. Um, yeah. I don't know. I, that, that's a really good question. How much of your true self as a therapist shines through in a session, sure. or in a, multiple sessions or a course of treatment. That more than we're...
1: Yeah, we're more really, than we think, I yeah think.
0: I think therapists all would love to feel like yeah. they're this blank slate and that, uh, that their we're, clients... We're in are, control of the attitude, <laughs> Yeah, the <relationship>. right. <laughs> yeah, we, we tend to take ourselves way too seriously, but um, yeah, I would bet. Well, and you get questions all the time, like, do you have kids? Mm-hmm. I, I do couples therapy, so I often get asked, like, are you married? married. Mm-hmm. Do you have kids? You know, those things. And, and I think I've ever told the client, I'm not telling you, <laughs> you know? <laughs> I don't think that's ever happened. So, you, you, yeah, you end up disclosing parts of who you are, and, and I think that's normal and natural and be weird and robotic if you didn't. Um, but I, I think you have to be careful about managing some of those things. Yeah. All right. Good talk. Good talk.